in this episode. So when we talk about ergonomics, we basically talk about the position that someone's sitting in where their materials or equipment is, you know, sitting in relation to them either at home or at work. I think the biggest thing we used to talk about was like workplace ergonomics and getting, you know, people's work set up evaluated at their office. And now it's shifted to what does that setup look like at home? Welcome to another episode of Optimal Health Uncovered. I'm Mike, and today I'm joined by Ashley Moriarty. Ashley, welcome. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. So we're going to talk today about the dangers of working from home. Kind of a catchy title, not really dangerous per se, but just more the uh, the negative effects, the deleterious effects of working from home. Obviously, we're living in the world of uh, COVID and the pandemic, and a lot of people are not commuting. They're replacing a lot of that with sitting at home. Schooling, a lot of it has gone virtual. So I know on the clinical side, uh, you and myself as therapists are seeing some injuries associated with that. So I thought it'd be good to talk about that and maybe give everyone in the listening audience some tips to maybe prevent some of that. Yeah, that sounds great. Okay, so first, let's tell us a little bit about your background. Why are you qualified to be on this podcast? Um, I am a physical therapist. I have been practicing for almost six years now between here in New Canaan, Connecticut, most recently, and Newton, Massachusetts, where I went to school up there at BU for a whopping six years. So you're a terrier? I am a terrier. I went to two hockey games my entire six years there. So it is a shame. But yeah, I've been here in New Canaan for the last year or so, and it's been great. But there's definitely an uptick in different kinds of injuries that we're seeing just over the last year with work from home, school from home, you know, people's commute going from an hour plus to let me walk across the hall to my little laptop that I stacked on a pile of books. Yeah. So what are you seeing with that? Like what kind of injuries are presenting into your clinic? I think the biggest thing is neck injuries and back injuries kind of across the entire age span. So from little kids who are you know, screen time through the roof up to their parents who are, you know, on calls, then getting their kids on Zoom, back on calls, back on, on you know, their laptops, which are not super ergonomic, actually in any capacity. Yeah. So I would say the same thing, that cervicogenic headaches, like headaches and visual disturbances, back pain, low back pain, uh, definitely presenting in a younger population. So everyone, anytime I get on the call with a colleague or, you know, someone in the, in the community is like, Hey, how's the practice going? It's just different now, right? We're lucky enough to have kind of revamped our business and, and kind of be back. But the business is a little bit different in the sense that we're getting more of these sprain, strain, overuse type things from sitting at desks and ergonomic issues versus the ACL, PCL, multi-ligamentous injuries that are happening, you know, out there. We get a couple of those with the ski slopes, but obviously sports aren't happening. So the kids that do present to our clinic presenting a little bit differently. I think a higher incidence of cervical pain, higher incidence of headaches, um, things that we haven't really seen before, low back pain, which isn't exquisitely common in that in that population. So I'm definitely saying the same thing. All right. So you threw out the word ergonomics. What does that mean? And you know, if I'm a parent, what would I look at for my child's work uh, place setup, my school setup? Yeah. So when we talk about ergonomics, we basically talk about the position that someone's sitting in where their materials or equipment is, you know, sitting in relation to them either at home or at work. I think the biggest thing we used to talk about was like workplace ergonomics and getting, you know, people's work set up evaluated at their office. And now it's shifted to what does that setup look like at home? Where are your kids doing school? So, you know, adults who've got home offices, great. They maybe have a monitor, they have a laptop or they have a, you know, external keyboard or a dock or something like that. They have a little bit more flexibility in terms of manipulating, you know, where their screen is. Versus a laptop, which is kind of set. So it's just a screen and laptop. There's not a lot of flexibility there. When you talk about like adult ergonomics, feet flat on the floor, sitting up nice and tall, 
Uh, right shoulders relax, preferably an elbow rest or an arm rest that you're not holding your arms up the whole time. Uh, screen about 18 to 24 inches away from you, looking down slightly so that you're not, you know, craning your neck up to look at your screen all the time. And then knees, you know, bent to a 90 degree angle or so, whatever's comfortable. And then similar for kids, right? So are your kids laying on the floor or laying on the couch or staying in bed, which I've heard, you know, for school, which is not great because then their laptop is perched on their chest or perched on their knees. So a similar setup like that, I think more importantly than the actual setup is how long you're in that setup for. And, you know, you can chime in here too, but kids who are in school for six to eight hours a day are typically moving class to class or having breaks or getting up to go to the bathroom. Now at home where you're on Zoom, maybe the teacher gives you a 15 minute break or a 10 minute break. If you're on that computer in your room all day. So scheduling time to get up, move around, get out of that seated position, I think is really the more important thing. Yeah. So I think for school, it's actually harder than than work at times because work, you could get up on a conference call and you could be on headphones or AirPods and, and walk around. School, if you're supposed to be present, the teacher's kind of watching your presence there. You're watching a screen, a PDF, whatever, maybe a PowerPoint, then it's a little bit harder to get up and move around. But what I tend to tell people is the same thing. For every hour of sitting, you want to be up for about 10 to 15 minutes. Even if you're standing there and watching it, stand versus sit, right? So whatever extent we can limit our sitting time, putting you know a lot of pressure on the disc, the low back, you know, disuse atrophy of the muscles. Like it, we're not meant to sit as human beings, as we know. So I think importance of just standing as as much as possible. Laptops are hard because most, I would say, ninety nine percent of the kids that I talk to have laptops, not desktops. Some parents have switched to a desktop for for home use for the purpose of school, uh, and I think that is beneficial because you're you're looking at a much better angle. When we say looking down, I think generally we look at like ten to twenty degrees of what we call cervical flexion, yeah, right. or slight like, looking down, or your gaze is looking down. So laptops generally, if they're sitting on a general uh, a table, they're going to be probably you know angled forty five plus degrees down. So it's not what we want. So you could what I recommend is if you can get a desktop, get a desktop. If not, elevate the laptop up and then just get a digital or a um, Bluetooth type keyboard. So the keyboard is right there, but the monitor is actually a little bit higher. A lot of parents have done that. There are standing desks, which are great, and they're convertible desks, so ones that you can put on your desk. When you're sitting, you can sit and use it, and it raises it up maybe 18 inches, which is usually perfect for most children. And then you know, when you're standing, it actually converts to a standing desk as well. So those, and I think sales of those throughout the country have kind of gone through the roof for, for good Yeah, cause. I think they were backordered for a while. Yeah, and then education is the, the big thing you touched on. it. So you could set all this up, but if the kids are on their bed because it's more comfortable or on the floor, you hear all types of things. So educating because posture is not great even in school when they're sitting right but you know doing you know they're not doing it to your point for eight hours a day they're up and they're moving around so setting timers and reminders you know we have digital everything now so whether it be an apple watch or the bigger phone a reminder on your desktop or laptop just standing reminders 15 minutes every hour and i have people set those as a recurring um, event in their calendar and then they're just getting up and doing it i think the other thing too is if you can stand like that point where you're standing longer than sitting right so Zoom now where you have to be face to face, camera on, makes it so people have to sit down. So I've had conversations with patients and, and just people in my life about if you can make that Zoom a phone call and you don't have to be face to face, you're not screen sharing, could you go on the phone and walk around instead? Instead of being locked at your desk for another hour after an hour after an hour, you know, meeting after meeting after meeting, could you take that and put it on a phone call instead and, and walk around your yard or, or, you know, go downstairs or just change of scenery, get up, move around a little bit? And this way, you don't have to feel like you're taking time away from work to have those standing breaks or those movement breaks. Right. So then say someone's in school, six to eight hours, or stay on that for a while. Six to eight hours, they're in front of a laptop. 
a lot of times I think what we'll notice is then they're kind of going, maybe they'll get a little break and then they'll go into their homework, right? Or some kids, because of bad weather here in the Northeast, they're going into gaming and they're sitting again and they're sitting again. So part of it is then what we educate individuals to do thereafter, right? So after school, I appreciate you have to do your homework, but you have to give yourself maybe two, three hour window, whatever is reasonable to get up and go outside or to walk around or go do a workout or kind of create a regimen for them to, to do around that. So what have you advised your clients with that? Uh, parents in particular, I've had a couple conversations where, you know, it used to be, okay, you can go on your iPad for an hour if you read for an hour, right? Or you can play your video games for an hour if you do your homework for an hour. And now it's like, can you get your kid outside for an hour? And then, okay, when they come back inside, you can get that 30 minutes of screen time, you know, non-educational screen time. Can you play a family game, right? I've had a lot of people do like family yoga, family fitness classes, just get their kids moving. because They see that their kids are on their screens all the time. So screen time, if screen time is eight hours of school, then it can't be four hours thereafter, right? So I think that's the tough thing with the the virtual age we live in. So having that a conversation as a parent, like I'm lucky enough for my five-year-old is, I mean, kindergarten's pretty arduous. She's <laughs> it's a, you know, feeder system to the Ivies, but yeah, obviously it's in person. Um, we're lucky enough where it's in person. So when she's back, if she's on her Chromebook or on, you know, some screens, it's okay. But the, the weeks that she's been virtual, like that's it, she's getting up and she's moving around and kids generally don't want to do that. Teenage don't want to be on electronics. Teenagers definitely want to be on electronics and that's how they're communicating. But I think it's definitely a little bit harder, especially with, with everything that is going on with this digital age. So, you know, parenting and, and trying to create that game time around it, I think is really important. Getting out, getting outside, as long as you have, you know, clothes to put on, the weather really doesn't, isn't as big of a factor as, as we think. Getting up, walking around, getting layers on, um, and then exercising as well. So where school isn't able to intervene if it's virtual is, you know, whether it be gym class or otherwise, a lot of these kids aren't getting just some exercise and being out. They're not allowed to compete in a lot of their sports right now, right? And depending on state laws um, and regulations. So, you know, advising and giving exercise programs just for kids. Um, So we've done a little bit of that where we've done uh, classes. The unfortunate thing is then you're limited to, okay, Zoom classes, right? Right. Because they're not going to, people don't want to come on site per se. So then they're getting more screen time, but at least they're up and they're moving around. Um, so giving some, you know, each, uh, some handouts or what we call home exercise programs, just to parents, even if people are uninjured to say, Hey, here's three to five things that your kids should be doing. That's going to decrease the, the negative effects of, of posture. So if, if I asked you, what were maybe, what are those three to five things? What can people do to combat the negative effects of sitting, whether you be a child or an adult, what would you say? Yeah, I think so. Reversing anything that sitting is right. So sitting is typically slouched forward, head down, in hip flexion, right? The seated position. So standing right right away, like immediately reverse that stand. Um, anything that really opens the chest. I mean, everyone's talking about it now, right? How do you get out of this slouched seating posture, that you know, text neck, that kind of thing. So up nice and tall, sitting back, shoulders back, talking about chin tucks too. I describe this to my patients as like, give yourself a double chin, not attractive. It's not flattering, but like it works. So tuck the chin back, pull the shoulders back, Get up and move around a little bit. You want to get into specific exercise. I love a good open book. Love getting people to rotate a little bit, extend their thoracic spine. And then foam rolling is the other one. Almost everyone has a foam roll. Almost everyone has something they could use as a foam roller. And it's just a matter of showing them how to do it, you know, providing a good resource or a good, you know, YouTube link or a good HEP home exercise program link. How do they foam roll? Okay, these are the muscles you might want to hit because you're sitting for so long, right? Quads, low back, upper back maybe down into the hamstrings, um, anything that basically gets them a little bit more limber and out of that seated slouch position. Yeah, I agree. I think 
just like you go to your desk and you may have, you know, your phone. If you're a trader, you may have a couple of different monitors. You may have pens. You may have whatever. Like part of now your routine is going to be bring over a foam roller, bring over a TheraBand or an exercise band, and get those reminders. Do these three things and get up and move around. So for just movement, if you're sitting at a desk, foam rolling is really helpful just to kind of move the, the tissues of our body to decrease fascial tension and, and get things going a little bit. So a couple stretches, couple exercises periodically throughout the day can be really, really helpful. Uh, so I think what would probably be beneficial is we'll link something to our show notes at the end of this, just kind of something that people can download and just say, here's some, some free information of things that would combat, you know, the negative effects. So you're sitting, here's a hip flexor stretch. You're, you know, not standing as much. So your posture muscles are on stretch over time. So here's how you open up that chest. The open book for anyone listening is you know, an exercise to loosen up both the anterior or front part of your chest and get some thoracic rotation. So we'll, we'll kind of link to that as well. So I think that's yeah, beneficial. Perfect. What about other things that individuals can do if they're sitting, um, and sitting in front of a computer for a long period of time. Favorite topic is blue light um, and how that affects us and, and negatively affects our sleep. I'm a big sleep person. So blue blocking glasses are like one of the easier things you can buy, right? It doesn't it, a couple dollars and it doesn't take away from any of your time. Um, you know, we talk about taking sitting breaks and all that. Like this is not a break. This is just something you wear all the time. Um, they can decrease the amount of blue light that you're getting just because of the excessive screen time. Uh, you know, some blue light is good, but when we're talking about working school, six, eight, 12 hours a day. You don't want excessive amounts of it. Um, so wearing those is great. And oh, I just lost. <laughs> That's fine. So <laughs> I'll, I'm, I've been wearing blue light glasses for a while. And it's really, it came after I read um, Matthew Walker's book on sleep. So PhD, super smart guy that wrote just a whole, like in my opinion, like the textbook on sleep and what affects it. So blue light specifically will block melatonin release and will inhibit our sleep and we're not getting into as much deep sleep and REM sleep. And nowadays blue light is in everything. So, you know, blocking it throughout the day is helpful if you're going to be on your screen. Other things I tell people at night is it's also on your TV. So wear it when you're, before you're watching, uh, when you're watching TV before bed, if you're reading, try to read in a room that has more incandescent light versus LED light, LED light, although energy efficient, um, does have more blue light uh, radiation that goes and it will negatively affect the melatonin release. So um, specifically lower incandescent bulbs of yellow or even red hues supposedly are, are the best. Um, not everyone wants a red bedroom and I appreciate that. So just an incandescent light. Um, again, it's not going green as much. So I think down the road, they're going to create some type of energy efficient bulb that is not, um, not going to emit as much blue light. There's also screen protectors that can go on your laptop, on your phone. There's night mode on all of our technology, that Apple technology at least, where it can shift down to lower hues and not have as much blue light. But also there's screen protectors that you can put on the front of your phone, laptop, uh, desktop, or whatever. And there's also software that can be downloaded that protects from blue light. So um, a lot of things you can do to protect from blue light. I think as you're getting closer to bed, there is a blue light blocking glass, not a brand per se, but the ones that are more orange or yellow tend to be more beneficial during the day. Obviously, people are on meetings. They may not want to wear those. So there's the ones that are a little bit clearer. So they're not all created equal. And I think as you go towards nighttime, you should shift towards the ones that are a little bit in the, the deeper yellow and orange type hue. So that's my spiel on uh, blue light. Other, this is not to say that blue light is bad for you. No. Right. No, it's, it's just great during towards, the day. Yeah. It's great during the day. It's fine. It actually can have a lot of positive effects as well. And it's in our light spectrum for a reason. It's not like we're trying to never see blue light. But if you're staring at a monitor for eight hours, it's not good for your eyes. So good studies on eye strain, cervicogenic headaches, a lot of problems there. And then at nighttime, that's for me, it's like 
from you know two hours before bed, I try to to put them on uh, and and wear them that way. And there's a lot better options now. I don't look as much like a serial killer wearing these glasses <laughs> if I'm like taking out my garbage and my neighbors get concerned. But all right, anything else from a? We talked about ergonomics. We talked about blue light. Any other tips or tricks or things that individuals can do if they're sitting or working from home? Uh, another favorite of mine is the what they call the 20-20-20 rule, right? So for every 20 minutes that you're sitting down at a computer or doing work, doing homework, whatever, you take 20 seconds to look at least 20 feet away. Um, I tend to do this a lot during the day where I just feel like I get zoned in on one thing and then I take a step back. It's like I got tunnel vision. So I start looking around, you know, take a little bit of a break, use that 20 seconds as a small movement break, and then kind of refocus my energy and then get back on the screen. Yeah. I think scheduling is another one that I would add. Um, and what I mean by that is we, in this part of the country, we're living in Northeast high demand. Everyone's kind of cranking and working their butts off all the time. It's just the mentality. So you took individuals that have been maybe an hour, hour and a half commute each direction. So now they have three hours of found time if they're working from home. Right. So initially that was great. They'd spend the time with their families. They're spending their time working out. Right. Now what I'm seeing the trend more commonly when I talk to individuals is like, well, now I just book more meetings. And now my clients know that they have access to me probably for two more hours a day, or my boss or my colleague know that we can just be on call and go from call to call to call. So carving out at least 15 minutes between meetings, I think is important. Trying to have your hard line of, okay, I'm not available until 7 a.m. Even though I'm not commuting on the 6 a.m. train anymore, I'm going to use that time for me. I'm going to use that time to work out. I'm going to use it to go for a walk, meditate, spend time with my family. That's not sitting, that's not work-related. So I think that mentality and that tendency, and I've done it you know, a ton just saying, okay, I could just see three telehealth clients back to back, but not probably the best thing for my, my optimal health. So I think carving out intentional breaks, not going from meeting to meeting, having, even if it's a 15 minute standing break, we're going to go walk, grab something to eat. It doesn't matter, but not sitting and going and being in grind mode all the time. Uh, easier said than done, but I think having that mentality of, okay, so plan on my meetings being, you know, if they're hour meetings, they're an hour and 15, and then my next one's not until then. Um, so I've talked to some individuals about that and they've worked around their schedules and it's, it's very doable because at the end of the day, you're still more accessible and more available where you're just having your hard limits of, okay, that hour is just my hour. You think about what you do for your kids, right? Your kids are in school and then you're like, all right, hard stop here, go outside, do this, do that, then come back to it. But a lot of people don't do that for themselves, right? So we encourage our kids to do all these things. We make rules for our kids, not that I have kids, but you know, encourage your kids to get outside and, and get away from the screens and read and play in the yard do yoga, move around. And then you're like, all right, well, while you do that, I'm just going to fit another meeting in because I can. And my boss knows I can, and, and I'm not commuting and everybody knows that I don't have somewhere to run to after this. Right. And using some of those principles that you do with your family, you know, for yourself. Yeah. And doing it together. And that's a great way. If again, so I'm younger kid, five-year-old and two-year-old like gym class right now isn't happening or they'll go outside and they'll do recess outside. They don't want everyone in, in one gym, especially in the winter time. So what we'll do obviously is we'll have at home gym and we'll just do exercise and my kids like love it. Right. And then daddy will do squats or push-ups or whatever with them. It's like a family team building thing. They're exercising. Obviously if you're a teenager, they're probably going to roll their eyes if they want to do that, <laughs> but trying to find something that, that everyone can kind of do together, even if it's getting outside, throwing a ball, lacrosse stick, it doesn't matter. But I think that that time carved out intentionally and, and putting it in your schedule as if it is a meeting, it is as if, as if it is a work demand is really important. So the other thing I've noticed, it's less now because people are coming more on site. A lot of people are vaccinated or at least half vaccinated. Um, but early on, a lot of people were hesitant to come in and still some people hesitant to come in. So we've been doing a lot of digital sessions, virtual telehealth type sessions, uh, but that lacks and misses that hands-on component. Um, what have you seen from your clients and any tips that they've been doing to try to help kind of self-regulate some muscle knots or anything that may be accumulating while they're working from home? A lot of my clients have purchased some kind of self-massage tool, right? 
hyper hypervolt theragun and you know whatever the the brand is um which is basically just like a percussion based vibration massage tool which is super helpful i think when used appropriately definitely have my spectrum of clients who go way too intense with it which is not my style and then i have the clients who are like yeah i bought it i don't know how to use it it just kind of sits there and collects dust but i think great tool to use at home at least short term you know, until they feel comfortable go- coming back in or, or seeking help from a physical therapist or a movement specialist. Yes, I would say 100% agree. So what's appropriate use for something like a vibrating gun, whether it be trigger, a Theragun, or whether it be, you know, Hypervolt or any hundred variant thereof, what would you say is an appropriate use in terms of what tissue should be used, what body locations, what are the do's and don'ts? My general rule of thumb is if it feels good, then it's fine, right? If you feel better after using it, then you're probably doing it okay. If you're feeling worse or more sore or you're getting a ton of visible bruising, then you're probably going a little bit overboard, whether it's time or frequency or even intensity of it. Uh, Most of them have little settings where you can kind of change the intensity. So back off that a little bit. But in general, I tell people like three to five minutes per muscle group and making sure that you're on a muscle. Right. So if I tell someone to do it on their quads, I'm like that little bone at the bottom there, your kneecap, don't do it on your kneecaps. You're just going to bruise yourself for, for no really no good reason. Yeah, I've found out a lot. And even preceding some of these guns, like the people that over foam roll that are like, this hurts so much, I'm crying, so it must be good for me. Exactly. Like to a point, like there's different densities in foam rollers, right? So there's lower density is probably a good place to start if you're super uncomfortable. And if your nervous system is on high threshold and just high alert all the time because it's so painful, you're not going to get the negative, the positive effects of actual getting tissue re- relaxation and length. So it's never going to feel great. It should be somewhat uncomfortable, but you shouldn't do it if you're sweating and, and literally crying. And I've had people that are doing that. You probably have to back off a little bit. And then, you know, the other thing is time-wise, like maybe three to five minutes. You're not spending 10 minutes on a trigger point where they're, you know, formally coming into the clinic or now maybe I'm on a tele session and I'm looking at their IT band and there's just bruising throughout. It's like, okay, so you're probably not allowing that tissue ever to heal, not ever allowing your nervous system kind of downregulate that threat perception. So that's an important uh, trick as well. But with the trigger point guns, whatever the actual brand, staying away from bony prominences, you know, the back is, it's a tricky area, whether it be the neck, uh, the cervical portion, thoracic portion, or the lower back portion, like staying maybe two inches to the, the right or left of the vertebrae, not pounding on the spinous process. I've had individuals that, you know, whether it be that or their kneecap or patellar tendons are just kind of jamming on it and thinking that, you know, if there's no pain, no gain, it's not really the situation. So there's some value. In, and I've literally hopped on some calls with people where I'm like, all right, so let's get the, therapy, the trigger point gun and let's go and figure out how to use it or let's get your loved one. How are they doing it? Right. And percussion and repetitive percussion is good um, in general. But sometimes if you're taking a very sore area and you're just pounding it, it's like little mini punches to it over and over again is not what it needs. It probably needs more sustained pressure. That's where something like a lacrosse ball or something that is sustained in that one area would be more beneficial. So I think there's a lot of good tools out there and a lot of people are forced, have been forced to kind of be their own physical therapist, chiropractor, or just manual therapist. Um, and it's coming back towards, you know, people being more accessible and willing to come in. But I think, you know, we have to use any of these tools with caution. Like with a lot of the home gyms people have gotten, you know, you're buying barbells and kettlebells and they've never really used them before, but they know that they're at gyms and like, okay, now what do I do? So just because you have a home gym doesn't mean you're you're necessarily a personal trainer or have the expertise. So still seek out the individuals, I, I guess would be my other advice that give you the tools to use everything that you bought appropriately. Similar to what we've been talking about, right? Just educating people, yeah. letting them know what's appropriate, what's not appropriate and what to do if they're not sure or if something you know does go wrong. Yeah. So this is a good podcast. We'll keep it kind of short. I think there's a lot of um, easy things that people can learn. Nothing probably groundbreaking that people didn't know, but I think we hit on some good pointers that will allow people to have more success with just how to fit it into their day-to-day. Uh, linking to the show notes and kind of creating some videos and 
maybe a PDF file that people can download to say, okay, here's five things that you can do. If you're sitting for more than X amount of minutes, this is what we recommend. Yeah. I think the visual, uh, visual guide will really help. Good. All right. Well, thanks for joining us uh, for all those listening. Of course, you're welcome back anytime. Oh, great. You did a great job. Thanks. I'm right in town. Did be you proud. You're you're right in town. That's good. (laughs) It's a two minute drive. Perfect. Thanks everyone for tuning into this episode of Optimal Health Uncovered. If you liked the episode, please make sure you leave a review, hit subscribe button, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Optimal Health Uncovered. If you have questions for us or want to hear about something specific in an upcoming episode, send an email to podcast at performance-pt.com. And be sure to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for more tips on optimal health. Until next time, be well.